Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. Uh, we have got a very interesting and exciting show today. Yep. Um, two things I think many people in this city are looking forward to learning more about is what's happening to my real estate, right. uh, where the price is going in this city, and then what's happening in the markets. How do you profit? How do you make money? Mm -hmm. Areas of opportunity. And what are the big risks for 2023? So we've got that all covered today. That's going to be a great show. It's a show. big show. Big show, you bet. Um, and we'll get started uh, We'll get started right now because I want to talk a little bit about what happened this week, as we often do in the first segment. There was actually a pretty big development this week. Yeah, and, and for those of you who don't know about this big development, Dave Popwich is a Justin Bieber <laughs> fan. He did sell his uh, record collection and all the rights to another company. Rumor is $200 million. I know you're upset. It's okay. You can still listen to your favorite Justin Bieber song. Hey, I bought the rights, so I expect yes. that there's going to be some decent cash flow. I'm no, just kidding. I didn't buy the I rights. I had no idea. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. that you'd buy the rights. little right. spare change kicking around. Yeah, you in the got back 200 pocket. million just lying around. Yeah. yeah. And two daughters? No, not even maybe. Yeah, well, see, there you go. So that, that was the first surprise. Mm. The second surprise that came out, more important, I think, to the rest of the world, not just you, Dave, is that the Bank of Canada decided to actually have a communication out there saying, we're going to pause. We're going to pause raising interest rates at this point. Conditionally. Conditionally. They stressed that a number of times, conditionally. Yeah. But it is interesting because the Bank of Canada has led uh, the developed world in terms of how aggressive and hawkish they've been in interest rate increases. The question is, are they leading the rest of the world now on pausing? And that actually shapes up the conversation about What's the risk and who does it benefit? Well, let's, yeah, okay, go ahead. Right, so yeah. I think when we start looking at what the conventional media will talk about, right. they'll talk about housing. Right. They'll talk about real estate. They'll talk about mortgages. Yep. They'll talk about debt. But there's another round of opportunity that people are missing out on now. Mm -hmm. um, so there, you know, uh, there was another quarter point increase. Let's put that on the table too, right? Expected, yep. Yeah. As expected, so those people that do have debt will feel that. Those people that have savings will also feel that. Uh, that's attached to the cash rates and so on and so Correct. forth, right? Um, the, pause is, the pause is interesting. Um, so what I, I watched the Bank of, uh, Bank of Canada governor speak uh, at the press conference after, and he was talking, Faisal, about um, that it's necessary to pause here because they have been very aggressive at raising rates. And so they haven't seen the full effect of those rates on the impact. They know they're in restrictive territory. They know there is a mounting body of evidence suggesting that the, the rate increases are slowing the economy and having the desired effects to rebalance demand and supply. But they don't know if they've gone too far or if they've gone far enough. We'll have to see. That's, their, that's why they're pausing, right? Yeah. Um, and so it, it gets a, a bit of a breather. Now, what's the, what's the ripple effect of that through, through uh, asset markets, things like stocks and bonds, right? There's a bit of a breather here. We get, to, we get to price now in this pause. They said conditional. So if, in, if inflation doesn't come down, they could continue to increase rates at this point, mm -hmm. right? So that's why he was stressing conditional. And we've all, I think uh, central banks have been very clear that they, they want to remain, um, uh, they want markets to think that they're going to stay here for a while until inflation gets crushed, right? So there's a bit of a difference between what the bond markets well, are saying. When you say crushed, you mean going back to what the target 2%. rate? 2%. Yeah, sorry, crushed. Crushed from here, down to 2% what their target their target rate is. Yeah. Bond markets don't believe that they're going to be on hold for all that long, though. 
And I did see the Bank of Covenor not call them out directly, but saying it's too early to talk about rate decreases. Bond markets are already saying that we're going to see rate decreases at the end of this year. Yeah. So where's the opportunity? So think about it when you're approaching or living in retirement. Mm -hmm. Think about where the landscape is as of today. Mm -hmm. This time last year, we used this terminology called TINA. There is no alternative. You have to go to stocks. Yep. Today, there is alternative. Right. So there's an opportunity to look at fixed income world. I can't believe I'm the one saying this. You're the bond guy. And there's an opportunity there. Second, the equity markets don't really care about the Bank of Canada's interest rates. The equity markets are more focused on what the Federal Reserve is doing, regardless of the nation at where you're investing in, mm -hmm. Canada, US, internationally. Mm -hmm. And they don't really care as much Independent individual stocks may vary, but in the market as general, Canada is an irrelevant piece to the global equity market. Very small. In the fixed income world, in Canada only, there's an opportunity to look at. Mm -hmm. And this is why we've seen the bond market do well across the board around the world, but in Canada specifically, there's been some great opportunity. Now, what people have, are missing out on is you can still make more money than what the interest or the prevailing interest rates are in the bond market. Mm -hmm. How uh, do you do that in bonds? When, when the, if <clears throat> the bond market is correct and interest rates start to get cut, what the bonds that you own will go up in price. Right. Very different than GICs. Right. And so here's the opportunity of having a diversified portfolio and looking at alternatives to GICs. So this, I think, is going to be a point where though, when you, when you think about retirees, and, and I blame conventional media for this, they talk about the fixed income investor, the fixed income retiree, right. and they look at GIC rates. And I'm not saying GIC rates are not appropriate for certain individuals. Or for certain circumstances, right? Fantastic, yeah. But what I think gets missed, because it's it's very difficult to some people to explain how the bond market works, mm -hmm. that there is opportunity to make even more than GICs in a bond investment, even if it's the government of Canada bond or a high-grade corporate bond. Right, right. So there's, I think for a retiree today, the opportunities are now more, there's more tools in the tool belt to use, mm -hmm. and you don't have to take on a significant amount of risk like you did in previous years to get the same type of return. Yeah. We suffered some pain last year for rising interest rates. The positive for that for the for the retiree who is generally a saver, right, is that we can get pretty decent rates now on the conservative part of the portfolio. Right? Whereas last year as you said, Tina, you had if you wanted returns, you had to be in the equity markets. Yeah. And that comes with a corresponding amount of risk. Right? And people forget the risk part of the equation all the time. Yeah, yeah. And there's, and, and I think that's one key thing that you can, you can really look out to. And here's my prediction for at least the next few months. The markets have done pretty well. You're going to get some, some people chasing after returns. Yes. And they're going to take on these big numbers that they've seen in the equity market and say, I want that return what they're failing to see is what's the risk you have to take. And there is an alternative this time. Right. 
And so I think there's opportunity. There's opportunity for growth. There's opportunity for lower risk, lower volatility, without risking your capital. Exactly. And that can just strengthen the probability of success in retirement. Right. Now, let's say the Bank of Canada goes on hold. Um, I, I want to caution people to thinking that means we're all clear, right? Not That's not true yet, right? There's We expect that there will be continue to be bumps and it continue to be choppy, right? There's still a potential uh, recession. There's certainly a slowdown in economics. So there's a bunch of stuff still going on, right? Which goes back to the comment about risk. Make sure you're managing your risk appropriately, right? And then be realistic about the return that you can get with the amount of risk that you're prepared to take. This is the analogy I use, Dave. I say, think about this as, as if Dave was at the dessert bar. Just because he says he's taking a breather doesn't mean he's not going to go at it again. <laughs> you know? You could go right back oh, at I'm it. I'm trying not to be that guy, Faisal. <laughs> yes, See? I, I'm weak. <laughs> right? At some point, you might their pause might be a retracement. Right. You'll leave. Yep. You may have to come back to the I dessert bar later on. may have to have another on. bite, yes. Depending on when. Yep. Depending on the conditions. Yep. Right? And that's exactly where the central bankers are. Depending on the conditions, do we raise interest rates? Do we continue to pause? Or do we start to cut interest rates? The bond market right now is saying a cut. It might change in the next little while. To, they're going to just pause. Right. And they're going to hold it for a while. We don't know the response yet. It's going to take some time. But keep an eye on the bond market. It's an interesting leading indicator of what's to come. Um, you know, Faisal, we get lots of questions about higher interest rates and mortgage rates going up, and what's that going to do to my house? What's the price of my property going to do? What's Calgary real estate look like? Because we often hear about national numbers. I'm not sure the national numbers necessarily translate into what's happening in Calgary. And in fact, we're hearing more and more from Ontario saying, hey, it's a lot more affordable in Calgary. Right. It's a lot more affordable in Alberta. Let's head our way there. And then we're also hearing from, from clients and listeners of this show, and they're saying, you know what, my... My adult child is getting in the housing market. Yep. There's not that much inventory. The prices, what do we do? Do we buy? Is it going to go up? Is it going to go down? Yep. And well, you know, my crystal ball <laughs> is terrible when it comes to this stuff. So yep. how about we crystal ball it with right. people who know more That's about right. the real estate market than you and I? Well, Anne-Marie Lurie is going to join us, and she's the, um, the Kreb chief economist. And we'll see. Uh, her, her crystal ball will be better than yours and mine for sure. Uh, I, I, I keep uh, abreast and I read her material. She's well-written, it's well thought out, and so I'm really curious to get a sense of what 2023 and beyond looks like. First of all, Anne-Marie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, right. let's set it up. Uh, we've got a, we had a pretty good pandemic uh, year in 2020, 21, regards to uh, the price of homes. They've jumped up pretty high. Uh, it looks like, and from what, anecdotally, from what I'm hearing from real estate agents, that the market's changing a little bit right now in 2023. Give us your, your thoughts about what's up for 2023 and your forecast when it comes to the housing market. Well, I think we can pack it out into different sections. So what we're seeing happen is that, you know, sales are expected to kind of cool off um, because we do have higher interest rates that are impacting the market. But at the same time, when we think about prices, and that's where most consumers are concerned about, we're not expecting to see um, really any declines happen um, some 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 you know some declines will be happening really in the upper end of the detached market because that's where we're seeing supply the challenge um, in our market is there hasn't been very much supply especially in the lower end of the market so we're still likely to see price gains for lower price detached homes for apartment condos row properties um, because there's just limited supply in there and the demand remains strong and I think 
that is one of the fundamental differences in our market is that um, you know we are not Ontario. We we have still very affordable housing. Um, we have a lot of people coming into this province. So, you know, our migration numbers have been exceptionally strong and that's offsetting some of that impact from the higher rates. So, Henry, just for clarity for, for the audience here, when you say lower priced homes, higher priced homes, is there a dollar amount that you're looking at that kind of defines one versus the other? For sure. So anything under 600,000, that market, there isn't a lot of supply and, and it's difficult to see some of the supply come on. So that under 600,000 for detached homes um, is going to remain relatively strong. So I still expect to see some price growth happening in that segment of the market. Now over 600, that's where we're starting to see some shifts. That's where we're seeing that that's where some of the supply is coming on. Um, demand isn't quite as strong because it's a lot harder for the move up buyer to get into that upper end of the market. So that's where we're starting to see some adjustments happen. Now, keep in mind the risk on that is, um, you know, and, and an upside risk in terms of price is if, you know, we continue to see this level of migrants coming from Ontario and BC that tend to be a higher priced market and they're coming into ours, you might not get that. You might see that demand actually continue in that range because they're far less sensitive to the higher interest rates just from the price point that they're coming from. So that's, you know, that will be to be seen if we see that that's where we're starting to see adjustments today. But yeah, under five, very different story, under 600,000. So what what um, what impact have you seen the higher interest rates and the higher mortgage rates uh, have on the market? And maybe give us your forecast of, of what you think that you know, that particular aspect of the um, of the real estate market is going to do and how it's going to affect Calgary going forward. Well, the higher interest rates, there's no question it's it's changing what people can buy. So what we've seen happen is there's been a bit of a shift. Um, you know, it started in 2022, whereas, you know, predominantly we were detached home sales. Um, you know, that accounted for over 60, almost 70 percent of all of our total resale activity. So what happened is we saw that shift where people were, you know, they couldn't afford necessarily the detached home. There wasn't a lot of supply choice. They started moving into other aspects of the market. So apartment condos finally started to see some really strong demand growth. We saw it in row homes, um, semis, and it really reduced all of the inventory levels in those markets as well. And we're seeing some price gains. And I think that is a reflection of, um, Sorry, that doesn't usually happen. Um, it's a reflection of the fact that we had <laughs> phone rings. Um, it's a reflection of the fact that, you know, because they can't afford into that upper range, they're making those choices to not necessarily keep out of the market, but to go into different aspects of the market. And, and with that, another thing to note is because the rental rates have been um, increasing. So we've seen rental growth, we've seen low vacancy rates, that's also brought back investors into the market. So we have much more people actually who are looking at, um, you know, what are their options for apartment condos? And, and is that a good time to buy an investment property despite the fact that you have higher rates um, just because of the rental gains? Anne-Marie, we've got uh, a couple of minutes left before we have to go to commercial break. But um, when you look at the rental market, it's gone up in rent. We're seeing year over year increases at some point Tenants will start saying it is cheaper for me to buy than it is to rent. Are we there yet? Is that going to add more demand? Um, and then let me ask you the flip side. Home builders are going to come out and say, hey, the market's still pretty good out here. 
especially in the $600,000 and less area, do we see a lot more? I know it takes a lot longer for a house to be built and be ready to be sold on market, but do we see both sides, the demand increasing because of rent and the supply increasing uh, because of the home builders? Yes, I, I mean, we've already started to see the supply response. So last year, 2022 was a record year for starts in the city. Um, and, you know, a lot of that was not just um, ownership. So what was interesting is, you know, that apartment condo, the apartment sort of construction numbers are actually showing that, you know, half of that is rental. So, so the, the home builders are also responding by constructing more rental product. I mean, last time we had starts this high, um, most of that was for ownership basis. So I think that, you know, there is a response in terms of adding more rental. They'll also be adding more product to the market. Where it will get tricky is their ability to add detached homes in that lower price range. Because um, as we know, with higher costs, higher labor costs, it's going to be a little bit harder to see that supply come in on the, the lower price detached homes. Um, and I think that's why that segment of the market will likely continue to see um, some limited supply. And that's why I still think we're going to see some price growth there because of that. Um, so I think that this is a market, a, a bit of a transition where you will see supply come on. It'll help ease the pressure, but the demand is going to remain strong for that affordable product. Um, so you're going to have some divergent trends. Yeah. One last question before we have to get going here. There's more and more conversation of the downtown core office buildings turning into mm -hmm. uh, uh, rental properties and residential um, is that going to impact on a positive or a negative for the city of Calgary? Well, given that right now we don't have a lot of vacancy, I think that is a positive, especially when you look at how many international migrants that we've had come in. Um, so province-wide, you know, over 100,000 were just, 100,000 people came into this province. You know, most of that, 70% of that is international migrants. They start in rental. We know that Calgary's been getting a larger share of that migration, and I think it is key to have that rental product available. So there's nothing that's pointed to me as in terms of a risk of there being too much, even if there's some of that conversion in the downtown. Um, you know, we are, we do have very limited supply in in the overall market, in rental and in ownership, so. Anne-Marie, uh, thank you very much. We're gonna have to, uh, we're gonna have to wrap it up at that point. We appreciate your input. We'll keep in touch uh, and we'll cross our fingers that, um, that the migration continues to support the prices, but at a, you know, as a rate that keeps Calgary an affordable city to live in and attracts, um, attracts business. So thank you for your, uh, your contribution today. Thank you. We've been joined by Anne-Marie Lurie, uh, Lurie, excuse me, who is the uh, Calgary Real Estate Board's chief economist. Um, Faisal, listen, uh, 2022 was a bizarre year. It scared a lot of people. There was lots of anxiety. Um, and I think we should do a bit of a post-mortem on that. We've got a terrific guest to help us understand a little bit about what the thinking was at the beginning of that year and then where the surprises and the shocks came in. Uh, that affected both the stock and bond market, affected all markets um, pretty much. But then we want to spend some time talking about how to position this year uh, and where the opportunities and the risks may fall. So to get going, Miles Zyblock has been a, a guest of ours, a recurring guest on the show, and we're very happy to have him back. Miles is the Chief Investment Strategist at Dynamic Funds. Miles, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's great to be here, guys. Nice to join you again. So maybe let's start with um, the, the, the quick postmortem that I alluded to, uh, Miles. Uh, I'd, I'd really love to get you to go back in time for me to January of 2022 and give us a sense of what you were thinking about at that particular point. And then, and then just quickly, what were the, what were the key surprises if, if it didn't work out the way you saw it working out? Sure. Um, well, you know, hindsight, huh? Hindsight is, is crystal clear. Uh, you know, going back to uh, 
uh, last year or the beginning of last year, you know, we we definitely were concerned about a, an uptick in inflation, but the extent of the increase in global inflation, I think, caught us and and all mar you know all investors by surprise. It was it was just relent relentless. I mean, the climb in inflation, whether it was in the emerging markets or the developed markets, uh, just kept accelerating higher and higher. And I think that really threw uh, you know, looking back, that really threw investors for a loop. So the, the high inflation and what about the, the central banks? Um, I, I guess the central bank's response to the higher inflation, um, not necessarily a surprise, a surprise only in the respect of how high inflation went. Would that be a fair statement? I, I think so. And, you know, the central bank's reaction to the, uh, the inflation, let's call it the inflation shock, the global inflation shock, the central bank's uh, reaction to that was was incredibly aggressive. I mean, we we saw, you know, throughout the year something like 400 central bank rate increases, and you know, just you average that, and that's that's something like one per day uh, around the world. So central banks were very aggressive, and not only was you know the tightening cycle very broad based, uh, but the the speed of the increase in interest rates uh, was was quite rapid. I mean, the, the Federal Reserve, for example. Uh, you know, it's on its fastest upward trajectory. The interest rates are on their fastest upward trajectory in, in the history of the Fed, maybe outside of the 1980s, late 1970s. So, you know, all in all, I mean, you had a very surprisingly uh, large inflation shock followed by a very aggressive monetary tightening cycle. And I think that that handcuffed uh, a lot of investors. I mean, when you when you look through the markets, the global equity market was down something like 20%. And then, you, you you know, you look at the regions and, and most, pretty much all the major, all, I'll say all, all the major regions uh, had equity markets that were down. I mean, you know, the Japanese equity market was was an outperformer. And, and part of that is because its inflation wave perhaps wasn't as severe. Uh, and its central bank did not raise interest rates or tighten policy settings whatsoever, really. Uh, and and Canada was was a bit of an outperformer. Again, the TSX was down, but it was a bit of an outperformer as well, um, largely because of its outsized exposure to energy stocks. And and if you you know look inside the equity market, energy was the only the only thing where you could make money. So you look forward now to 2023. What's the expectation that you have? And let's even kind of get into how do you position yourself for for you know an individual who's approaching or living in retirement, a balanced style type of portfolio. Let's look at positioning as well. So, you know, I'll, I'll talk about the outlook, but I think the approach to investing shouldn't change uh, regardless of, of, of what the, the market cycle is looking like. But, you know, I think we've, we're, we're transitioning here from two, let's call it two very negative macro factors. So we have, you know, uh, inflation risk was really high and that was putting downward pressure on valuations uh, for both equities and bonds. Uh, and then, you know, as, as you got later in the year, people got more concerned about the growth outlook, too. So, so you had bad inflation and, and a deteriorating growth outlook, and that was putting a lot of pressure, downward pressure on, on, on asset valuations. And now, you know, we're transitioning away from, I'm not going to say we don't have an inflation problem, but it's, let's call it getting less bad. Uh, inflation is starting to moderate. And we're seeing, uh, and that should be, you know, at the margin of positive. Now the growth outlook hasn't improved that much, but you've gone from two negatives to perhaps one negative and one marginal positive. So I think the balance of risks has has shifted a little bit for 
for riskier assets like equities uh, a little more favorably. I, I'm not saying that you know we're we're table pounding uh, bullish uh, about the equity market, but I think you have to you know if you were really defensive throughout 2022, I think you have to add a little bit of risk to your portfolio. Now, you know when I said that. Uh, the, the outlet, you know, you re, your approach really shouldn't change uh, regardless of the market cycle. I mean, ultimately, you know, investors with a long term horizon should be focused regardless of, of, of the equity cycle or the, the equity or the, the economic cycle. They should be focused on, uh, in my opinion, quality stocks, good balance sheets, reliable cash flow delivery, uh, dividends and dividend growth are usually a, a fantastic enhancer. Uh, you know, companies that raise their dividends are telling you that their their businesses are doing okay. Uh, so they they have you know they put money where their mouth is. So I, I think you know regardless of of the macro cycle, uh, that those are the types of things you should be focusing on in in the equity market. When you look at positioning of an asset allocation, if we we've got a couple of minutes before we have to head off to commercial break, but what would you say is is the the optimal uh, asset allocation. And the reason why I bring this up is because uh, I think we're going to enter a phase, Miles, right now when people are looking at their 2022 statements, they're looking at how much fees they've paid, they're looking at all these things, they're saying, I got to recover, I got to make more money, they're going to start shopping around and they're going to start saying, okay, this portfolio, portfolio A, has done way better than I have or will is doing much better right now and so I'm going to just jump into that. I still think asset allocation is very important. Uh, when you look for your outlook, what would you say is your, your 2023 asset allocation viewpoint? Well, you know, I'm not going to give an, an allocation because uh, I'll give you a sense though, because, you know, every, every investor has a different risk tolerance and I don't know what's appropriate for that investor, but let's just say 60, 40 is sort of your benchmark. 60% equities, 40% bonds is, is your benchmark. Uh, and, and that's kind of your long-term strategic target for bonds, stocks and bonds. You know, we were probably closer to uh, 40% stocks, uh, less bonds and more cash. And, and now we're getting, you know, upwards of, of sort of 50%, 55% stocks uh, and adding to bonds. I think bonds are going to be the, 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 the interesting story this year. If you recall last year, the bond market uh, sold off you know, it was down close to, to 20%. It was down 16%, the global bond market. And, you know, from its peak, the global bond market lost nearly 26% of its value. And we have never, I have never uh, seen a bear market in bonds like that. Part of it was, again, I think the bond market was ill-prepared for the inflation and interest rate shock, given that there was something like $18 trillion of of negative yielding bonds in the global marketplace. So bonds were were really unprepared for, for this shock. But, you know, after a, a bear market like that in, in bonds, I, I think there's there's plenty of opportunity in bonds, especially longer dated bonds as we go through the year. Now, you know, why do I, I think that's the easier call than stocks. So we're a little bit overweight bonds, overweight high quality bonds, slightly, but maybe less so underweight equities than we were several months ago. Uh, because like I said, it's, it's, it's this a more balanced view, this tug of war between inflation and growth that's going on for the for the equity market, and we we I think we need more clarity on the economic outlook to get really aggressive on equities. But you know, just think about this. I mean, in, I told you that inflation in, inflation risks are peaking, uh, and we could all argue about how much inflation is going to recede in the months ahead. But you know, at the margin, that's good for bonds. 
uh, growth is soft and, and softening. And again, we could argue, is it going to be a global recession or not? I, you know, I don't know. But the point is, is that softer growth tends to be good for bonds. And then, you know, you, you and you saw it uh, recently with the Bank of Canada. It looks like they're, they've gone on hold with their uh, interest rate tightening cycle. And I think more central banks will will join the Bank of Canada this year. So you have peak, let's call it peak monetary policy rates. So you have peak growth, peak inflation and peak rates. And I think that sets up pretty well for higher quality bonds. So uh, I think, you know, for me, the, the interesting call, at least into the first part of this year, the first you know couple quarters is, is to stay or to build positions in, in high quality bonds. Now I suspect, and Miles, I'll put this question to you in a minute, that this might be the tale of two different periods of this year. Yeah. We might have a first half of 2023 story and maybe a second half of 2023 story. And that might demand that we, we remain active as, as portfolio managers. But Miles, here's my, here's my question to you to begin with. You, you, know, you mentioned at the beginning of this, uh, at the last segment, uh, a little bit about the stock and bond positioning. We have had this pretty aggressive run up in equity markets and a pretty uh, good response in, in bond markets. Tell me a little bit, of, just give me your thoughts on how this year has started um, and where you see that, you know, this may be going. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a great start to 2023. Uh, equity markets are up pretty much across the board and, and bond markets have been rallying. So, you know, it's sort of like the, the everything sell off was 2022 and the everything rally is beginning 2023. Um, now, you know, I don't, I don't suspect the pace uh, or the trajectory that the market is on is, is sustainable. Uh, but I do think that, you know, for for now, I, I you know, it's going to be I think it's going to be choppy. It's going to remain choppy uh, in the equity market. And then as the economic indicators start to bottom, the leading economic indicators uh, of the business cycle start to bottom, perhaps later this year, uh, I think you're going to have a, a better tone to the market. But, you know, choppy, hopefully, you know, hopefully we keep going higher. I don't I don't mind equity markets moving up. Uh, they've been moving nothing but down for a long time. So. Um, but but like I said, I, I am a little at the you know a little concerned that um, that people may be surprised by uh, the negative sort of growth uh, that that's coming down the pipe. So uh, you know I, I don't think you get over your skis here, but it, I, I use this analogy. Um, you know, as an investor, not as this as a forecaster. You know, when we go to say Walmart or something, and we see something's on sale for twenty percent off, we we seem to get a little excited about purchasing that good and think we got you know got a deal. And you know, the, the global equity markets are are kind of like that; they're on sale. So you know, the times that it feels riskiest to, to buy equities or own equities is probably the time you should be buying or own or owning equities because you know, uh, effectively. When, when after a big fall, uh, the risk is sort of wrung out of the system, at least a, a little bit. So, um, you know, I, I think that you should be getting your shopping list in order and you should be, as we have been doing, adding to, to equity exposure, at least incrementally here as we go forward. Miles, when you look at um, the areas of opportunity, I think there's, like you said, there's a whole bunch of sectors or even let's call it different parts of the market that have uh, have a big discount. They're on a Walmart sale, let's say that. We look at technology, how much it fell last year. When you look at when you look at small, medium-sized corporations, primarily in the U.S. and maybe even globally, uh, they've taken a bit of a hit there from last year versus the larger cap. Where there's so much attention happening to let's call it the S&P 500, uh, and they're missing out, I believe, in certain areas. Where do you see the areas of opportunity? Is mm -hmm. areas like tech, 
or or healthcare or or even let's go to small medium-sized corporations as we get through this economic uh, challenge that we're in are there areas of opportunity there well maybe i'll start start off by saying that i don't where, where, you know where i think people should not be going and and if you recall we have to go back you know 12 12 to 18 months and everyone was very excited about uh many of the story the story driven stocks what do i mean by that you know a lot of story little in the way of fundamentals so these are the the, the newly issued ipos uh the spacs um you know uh, many of the non-earning let's call them non-earning uh, or unprofitable technology companies and, and these just were up on a stick uh and, and and you know that stick has been broken now and I, I think that's what higher costs of capital do to these story-driven narratives. So where I would be focusing is on, you know, like I said earlier, the, the sort of the quality companies. I think we're, we, when interest rates um, rise above 0%, uh, I think the fundamentals become more important than the stories. Uh, because, you know, higher interest rates impose di discipline on, on investing. And so, you know, Look, I think there's 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 many areas of the market that are looking more attractive. In, in the first part of this year, though, until uh, we see the growth outlook, and you know, we, we want to see it bottom, but we're let's call it in the more defensive areas of the equity market. Uh, I don't know if you want to call them defensive or not, but uh, comp sectors or groups that have more let's call it earnings uh, visibility. So this would include some of the consumer staples names, healthcare names. You know, even when you go into the industrial sector, which tends to be a little more cyclical, aerospace and defense stocks are, are, are less cyclical. So I think, you know, at this stage, until we see the economic outlook uh, begin to turn up, uh, we're, we have a little bit of, let's call it a stable growth bias in the portfolio. And as the, the economic outlook starts to bottom, we'll, we'll, we'll be adding... Uh, unquestionably, I'm, I'm thinking we'll be adding to uh, the more cyclical areas or, or those with a little bit more operating leverage uh, to the economic cycle. And that that could include names uh, in the industrials uh, sort of sector. Miles, I've been I've been noticing anecdotally again with individual retail investors, uh, they're chasing after returns. And let me let me paint the picture this way. You've got you've got a, a, a poster up, an ad. Um, and they're seeing that they're making a certain rate of return. I'm going to make up some numbers here. Portfolio A, 10%. Portfolio B, 8%. That's all they're looking at. And they're starting to make questions and even possibly investing in the 10% rate of return portfolio. What I think a lot of people are failing to do is really understand that there's another question that needs to be asked, at least one. And that is, what's the risk you have to be willing to accept to get those kinds of rates of return going forward? When you look at that type of a retail investor, let's educate them here. What's the type of, of, of due diligence they need to do to understand the risk or volatility you need to accept in order to get those types of returns going forward? Sure. I mean, that, that's, a great, that's a great question. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, when you're, first of all, you have to approach investing with, a, let's call it a realistic lens. Equities are volatile. Uh, as an example, equities are volatile. If you want higher rates of return, you're going to have to go into higher volatility asset classes, generally speaking. Um, and, and, you know, we, we're all comfortable with the fact, you know, when we look in the in the rearview mirror, we're all comfortable with the 8, 10, 12 percent returns uh, that you can derive 
from say exposure to an asset class like equities. But you know, when you're living that in real time, you have to be realistic again. When you're living that in real time, that 12%, you know, on a piece of paper, it looks like a straight line, but when you're living it real time, it's a roller coaster to get that 12%, right? And and I think we have to be honest with ourselves that to say that if we want those types of returns, uh, we're going to have to live through things like we saw last year in the equity market. So after you've sort of, I guess, assessed your tolerance for risk, you can say, you know, what what is what is an appropriate portfolio for me? And and again, 20% swings in equity markets is that's not a rarity. I mean, it's 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 part and parcel of, of the history of the equity market where you get 20, 20 plus percent declines. So um, I, I think you have to, like I said, have a realistic assessment of your 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 tolerance for risk. And and to get those higher returns, you're going to have to assume more volatility in the portfolio. There's just no there's no way about it. You can't you, you know, you you can't make something out of nothing. And And like I said, to get those those excess returns that people like on paper, um, it's it's often uncomfortable, to be honest. It's it's quite uncomfortable uh, living through that. I think you, you I think can't make something out of nothing. That's the best piece of advice yeah. that you can get for 2023. Right. Because I think there's going to be a lot of uh, shopping or chasing returns uh, as we see the numbers coming in at the beginning of the year. Uh, Miles, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we've been joined by Miles Zyblock, Chief Investment Strategist for Dynamic Funds. Dave, we have uh, a whole program in place to how to protect yourself through volatility, but still reach your retirement goals. Part of it is to make sure you understand the risk you're accepting mm -hmm. when, you when you invest. Part of it is also a proper structure and discipline, and we're going to have that on Tuesday, February 21st, 7 p.m. at the Carriage House Hinn. You need to reserve, uh, reserve your seats for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. On behalf of Faisal and myself, Dave, I want to thank you for joining us for another edition on More Than Money on QR Calgary. We'll talk to you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.